Well, good evening. Once again, good to be uh, in front of the camera and uh, being able to share with some of you who are studying uh, the book of Jonah with me and uh, have it a bit of a break, but hopefully, and God willing, over these next weeks, we'll be able to complete this particular study. And uh, so join me as we just bow our heads in, in a word of prayer, uh, just committing this time to our Lord Jesus as we study the word. We come, Lord, this evening. You are Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And Lord, you command and, and even demand our worship. And we do bring that to you this evening. And we do so, Lord, as those who are frail and weak, uh, knowing that we come only because of your grace, because of your Son's atoning work on the cross. And so even coming to you, our Father, knowing that we can do so with confidence uh, through the work, through the blood of our Lord Jesus, the way that has been opened up for us. And we do pray tonight, Lord, as we remember some other scriptures, that you, God, are our refuge and strength and ever-present help in our time of need. We remember, Lord, that the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. And so as we look at this passage tonight, as we study this particular prayer of Jonah, Lord, that you, your Holy Spirit would stir in our own hearts, uh, leading us in paths of righteousness for your name's sake. And so for uh, this time, the words that I speak, Lord, help me to speak clearly and simply. And for each of us, Lord, to be in submission, listening to you. And Lord, having the courage, the willingness to take steps of obedience, uh, we pray. And so asking all of this in the name of Jesus, Amen. So we are tonight going to be looking at Jonah chapter 2. And so if you would take up your Bible, I'm going to read and we're going to end with the last verse of uh, Jonah chapter 1. You will remember that verse 17 reads as follows, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Chapter 2. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me out of the belly of Sheol. I cried, and you heard my voice, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I'm driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit. O Lord my God, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols... Forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. So just so far, uh, Jonah chapter 2. And uh, we are going to follow an outline tonight. And uh, hopefully we'll be able to understand the text better. I thought I'd start this evening by just uh, using an analogy. 
uh, ever standing on the top of a cliff, thinking of myself at the top of Montesources, uh, looking over the Tugela Falls, and there is this literal uh, thousand plus uh, drop and hurling a stone over the edge and watching that stone uh, free fall into the valley below. In some senses, in a spiritual way, we could liken this particular place that Jonah finds himself in as like that stone, having plunged over the edge, falling really to, into a mission to nothing, and, and, and all of this uh, because of an attempt to run from God. And we need to acknowledge right at the outset that, that his uh, descent, this, this downward spiral, this downward plunge, was as a result of his own act of foolishness. And perhaps even we can put that into the plural, his own acts of foolishness. The point is he tried to run from doing the will of God. Now God had given him a particular command, remember, to go to preach to the Ninevites. He chose instead to disobey God and run in the opposite direction. But we will in application tonight, and I want you to be thinking in terms of any kind of disobedience, any kind of revealed righteousness that we have from God in the word of God. If we are disobeying that, if we're running from God, if we're defying from God, the application of this particular passage uh, certainly uh, fits. In this effort, and we did touch upon this a couple of weeks ago, he, as it were, <coughs> excuse me, tripped over his own bootlaces. It seemingly went well, but not for very long. And then when he fell even further, once on the ship, we saw that God began to chasten him, to discipline him with a storm that was raised up and then the sailors in the way that they treated Jonah as well. So maybe to put it in a couple of sentences that would help us to remember, Jonah went down to Joppa. Jonah went down into the ship's hold, and then eventually Jonah went down into the raging sea. This kind of free fall into destructiveness, free fall into dysfunction, uh, as a result of disobedience to God, is not unique to Jonah. We believers, and I am speaking primarily to believers tonight, are sometimes out of step with God. Sometimes we are going in the reverse direction to where God wants us to go or what God wants us to do. And the thing that happened to him can happen to any one of us. Those of us who persist to walk out of harmony, out of sync with God, will inevitably find ourselves in the place of distress. Just consider the world around you. Consider some believers that you know. Perhaps even consider your own life. That's where we ought to start. I must consider my own life. Those who have persisted in deliberate sin, in deliberate defiance of God, become overwhelmed with a weight, a burden. And my thoughts uh, immediately went to, to John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress and, and that burden, that burden of sin that Pilgrim or that Christian uh, carried. 
And so any any person who professes to be, be a believer, anybody who is actually a believer, yet finds himself or herself stuck in sin or sinking in sin, will find themselves under the weight of that sin. Now we can get specific. And, 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 and to start with the obvious one, somebody committing adultery. That sin will weigh down and it will get heavier and heavier and the person will become more and more distressed. Somebody thinking of stealing money. Somebody who is involved in, 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 in slander. Uh, what about the command the scriptures give us in the book of Hebrews? Let us not forget the gathering together of the saints and then deliberately staying away from church. Is, is that not defying God? Is that, is that not disobedience? Is that not going to cause a weight, a burden of weight, uh, of, of heaviness on uh, the shoulders of that person persisting in that kind of defiance. You will find that's true. I have found that to be true in my own life. Uh, a sense of burden, that sense of despair, that, that sense of desperation. Well, Jonah, we see here, yeah, literally sinks into the water. He's going down, he's desperate, and we're going to have a look and see tonight what happens in his particular case. The first thing that happened was not the appearance of the great fish that swallowed Jonah. Now, I want to point this out very importantly. Before the fish arrived, there was a cry of distress. There, were, there was a call to God. And so my very first point tonight is I want to urge you in your own walk with God, and particularly if you're finding your place if you're finding yourself in a place of, of, of defiance or, or disobedience or distance from God, you ought to, in that place of distress away from God, cry out to God for help. This is what Jonah does in his hopeless condition, uh, sinking in the sea, in a desperate situation. Uh, his life is at risk. Uh, Jonah cries out to God for help. Have a look at the second verse over there. You see, Jonah remembered that, that this God that he had served, and yes, imperfectly, but he had served God over the previous years. He knew, and he tells us a little bit later in the book of Jonah, chapter 4 and verse 2, that this God is gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents. Sending calamity. Now he's got that in the back of his mind. Surely as he jumps into that, or not jumped, as he's pushed into that water, as he's thrown into that water, he probably thought that his life was over, that he was going to drown, that he was going to die, that he would would die as someone, uh, uh, as a consequence of of being in a situation now, where coming about because of his defiance or disobedience, of God, And so he cried out, he cried out to the Lord for mercy. And we read in that uh, chapter, have a look, I called out to the Lord out of my distress and he answered me. And we read a little bit earlier on that the Lord arranged, the Lord appointed, the ESV says, the Lord appointed a great fish for Jonah's 
rescued. Now just think about that. Think about the, 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 the amazing involvement and interest that God has in one individual servant of his, where he orchestrates things so that that particular fish gets to that particular time to, to, to be the, the instrument of rescue for Jonah in his distress. The Lord had mercy, we see on the prophet, and the Lord saved him miraculously in the belly of this fish. Now again, I want to point out that chapter 2 is what Jonah prays. It's a prayer that he prays while he's still conscious in the belly of the fish. He recounts his cry of distress in the water because that's where he was really in distress. And then he lifts up a voice of thanks for the deliverance that God gave to him. There must have been at least some moments, time of consciousness in the belly of the fish, certainly long enough to realize that God had saved him, that God had rescued him from drowning in the sea. And that, and during that time of consciousness in the fish, Jonah prays, and we have the record of this prayer in this book. I want you to note that when Jonah refers to the distress of the past, if you ever look at the passage, it actually uh, uh, is in the past tense. The time he spent in the water, that's the time of distress. It's not the time he spent in the fish. And so the water, the water is to him the threat of death, whereas the fish is the refuge of salvation. The cry of distress is past tense, the voice of the water or in the water, and the voice of confidence and thanks is present, present tense, in the fish. So have a look at verse 1 and 2. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called, there's past tense, I called to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. And that simple statement sums up what happened when Jonah sank into the water. Cried out to God, God answered him by sending this big fish. Now I want to extract from that some application tonight as we look at this passage, as we review the different verses, and encouragement for us, for you and for me to see that God answers the prayers of His children. And what we need to understand that the cry of distress in this particular con context is, is not distress because of unemployment. It's distress because perhaps uh, the fingers have been going into the offering bag stealing money. It's because of sin. It's because of the persistence in sin. It's because of that weight of sin on the shoulders of the prophet and on the shoulders of any one of us persisting in defiance or disobedience outside of the will of God. So the context is disobedience. The context is because of sin. And so it's, it's in, in, in the consequences of that that Jonah cries out and God answers. And I'm going to give us a whole bunch of points that we're going to see from this passage. Points of encouragement uh, in terms of God's mercy and God's grace. God being compassionate. God being kind. And, and the way that God uh, extends a hand even to the worst of sinners. So the very first one. Understand that God answers in spite of guilt. Even in a context, as we see with Jonah, he was guilty of gross and obvious sin. He defied God. 
he blatantly disobeyed God. He was guilty of disobedience. And, and that, was, that was why he was in the water. And, 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 and we, we need to think about that and say, well, maybe some of us are in trouble right now precisely because of disobedience. It might be, it may be the disciplining hand of God, chiding, correcting, because you are in a particular place where you are guilty. This weight of sin is bearing down on you. And in that situation, any one of us would be thinking, well, is there any hope for me? Am I not too far gone? Is it too late? Will God have mercy on me? Will God hear my cry of distress? Well, the message to us tonight from this particular book is, yes, take heart and see how God handles Jonah. In your dis- if your disobedience is the cause of your distress, yes, there is a need to repent, to repent from that sin, to turn from that sin, to turn toward the Lord Jesus Christ and seek His forgiveness. But the point is that God answers in the midst of our guilt, and God does forgive. And even thinking in terms of the New Testament passage, if you confess your sin, and that means you're guilty, if you confess your sin, He is faithful and just and will forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Number two, God answers in spite of His judgment. Have a look at the third verse. You hurled me into the deep. Now he's speaking to God, speaking to God, into the very heart of the seas. But now hang on a minute, you say, we read back in chapter 1 and verse 15, it was the sailors, the ship's crew, that hurled him into the sea. They were the ones who picked Jonah up and, and threw him off the deck, over the edge, into the raging sea. But what does Jonah know? Jonah knows that ultimately it was God. It was all of God. They were simply being used of God to bring about the judgment of God. God was angry at Jonah's disobedience, and so God disciplined Jonah. And Jonah prayed for the, he prays for deliverance from this very God who threw him into the water. And, and the God who threw him into the water, the God who was disciplining him, judging him for his sinfulness, his disobedience, heard his prayer. And he provides a miracle to save him. Again, I think there's encouragement for us. Even when God is displeased with us because of sin or disobedience or sloppiness or mediocrity. And even if he brings us into disciplining affliction. It's not merely for the sake of punishment. God's purposes always include redemption. Adversity is redemptive. It's not merely disciplinary. Even if you have felt like the, like the, the heavy hand of God is against you in your distress, the point that we can take, the message we can certainly take from this passage, is when you call out to Him, He will answer you in spite of His own judgment. Well, we can look even further and see that God answers Jonah's case in impossible circumstances. God delivered him from the most difficult 
of circumstances. Now, again, I've come across this. I've seen it. And one of the issues that came to my mind as I went through these notes, as I prepared for tonight, is I'm thinking about uh, somebody that, that commits suicide. And, 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 and the burden of sin and the, the weight of that sin is weighing down on this person and they don't see any light at the end of the tunnel and, and, it, and the spiral just get, get, takes them further and further down into the depth of darkness and, and they feel that there's no way forward. There's no hope. There's no, there's, this passage says, even in the worst kind of situation that you find yourself in as a result of sin, God can deliver you. Have a look at verse 5 and 6. Just a description here of the extent of Jonah's plight as a result of his disobedience. He describes this. The waters closed in over me. The deep was round about me. Now I think we've all been there. You go into the sea, there's a big dumper and you get turfed onto your head and spun around and you don't know what's up and you don't know what's down. That, that's the kind of thing he's describing. But he goes even further. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed me up forever. This guy thinks he's done. God answers. God rescues him from this impossible, seemingly to us, impossible circumstance. Number four. God answers at times in the 11th hour. And I find this very, very encouraging. Notice what he says in verse seven. Uh, when my life uh, was, just want to go back, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. Now, I can only imagine in the water, he's beginning to swallow water, he's beginning to breathe in the water into his lungs, he's beginning to become all uh, half-conscious or losing consciousness. And, 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 and so my life was, was fainting, was ebbing away. I remembered, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. He was losing consciousness. But in those moments, he remembered the Lord. And Jonah was praying, praying to God with, without an answer in sight just before he passed out. What, how, how was he thinking? Uh, how was it possible that, that God would be able to <coughs> excuse me, rescue him from that particular situation? And, and the lesson, there's a great lesson here. God often answers our prayers at the 11th hour. We expect it now, or we expect it tomorrow, but it might, might be later. God often answers prayers after or later than what we expect Him to do so. Remember Habakkuk, back in uh, chapter 1 and verse 2, uh, many of us have groaned like Habakkuk, even in the midst of disobedience. How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? I've come across believers and I've been there myself in a time of, of spiritual barrenness and, 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 and asking God, pleading with God to, to bring me through the, the, the barrenness and, and, and the hardship and, and the dryness and, and it doesn't happen today and, and, and it doesn't happen tomorrow and it doesn't happen next week. But then God brings about spiritual refreshing, the delight of just experiencing His presence 
the ministry of His Spirit in our hearts, looking into the Word, sensing uh, the, the very voice of God speaking to us, the intimacy and the fellowship of, of abiding with Christ. Jonah, I believe, gives us courage. Keep on praying. Don't give up. Keep on crying out to God and believe that God will answer in his time. Also, we notice here in the situation with Jonah that God answers at times in stages. Again, in our kind of thinking, it's all or nothing now. God's ways, God's ways of operating is different. Uh, I, I have no doubt and, and fairly sure that when Jonah cried out to God, he didn't say, oh God, put me in the belly of a fish for three days. I don't think so. I would imagine he probably said, God save me. I'm cast out from your presence. Have mercy now. But God answer, God's answer came in stages. The belly of the fish, <laughs> I don't think immediately seemed like salvation, but it was. Jonah is granted enough consciousness to realize that he's been spared from drowning. That there's hope. He doesn't complain about his surroundings. I don't think it was too pleasant in the belly of the fish. He accepts the first stage of salvation as a guarantee of the dry land to come. And concludes his prayer in the belly of the fish with that great affirmation that we ought to repeat again and again. Salvation comes from the Lord. Salvation comes from the Lord. And so again, there's, there's an encouraging uh, takeaway here that we ought to remember that don't disregard partial works of God. If God chooses to take you through particular stages of particular experience with Him, God has His purposes. And we ought to be grateful. We must be grateful for each improvement in our condition. Surely a fish's belly is better than the weeds at the bottom of the sea, even if it's not yet dry land. God answers us in stages at times, not all of which is comfortable. Number six, God answers to prompt thanksgiving. When God acts, and we need to remember that God is God, and God is the one worthy of glory. God is the one who demands uh, attention. He's the one who ought to get the credit. And so God answers cries of distress in order to capture undivided loyalty and thanksgiving. Verses 8 and 9 really show us, uh, Jonah shows us how to conclude uh, a prayer after deliverance from uh, distress as a, a result of sin. And he sums up something that we could spend a lot of time thinking about, but let me read it. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I vowed I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. You see, why, why do we want God to even do anything for us if we still want to clutch on to lesser things? Because that's, that's what the sinful heart does. The sinful heart prefers the created 
rather than, than, than the Creator. And so we hold on to houses and we hold on to cars and we hold on to bank accounts and, and we hold on to security and we hold on to political, political parties or whatever it may be. And, and we make these things idols, but they're worthless idols. And if we do that, we forfeit the grace of God. That's what he's saying. We forsake mercy. Instead, there's a better way. Thanksgiving, that God has rescued us from disobedience God has rescued us from pursuing that which is useless and worthless and doesn't last very long. And so we can say, certainly at this particular point, there's still going to be some challenges along the way, but certainly Jonah's prayer has produced this proper effect of thanksgiving. It has filled Jonah with just wonder, amazement, that anyone, that he would still cling on to idols. He didn't want to do that. He rather would give thanks uh, to God. So God, God taught Jonah God taught Jonah that if you leave the Lord, you leave mercy. And he has filled Jonah's mouth instead with thanksgiving. So God answers prayers in order that thanksgiving will abound to his glory. Psalm, Psalm 50 verse 15 Call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you and you will honor me, honor me, giving thanks to God, giving God the credit, giving God the glory. One more. God answers to make us useful instruments. Remember the purpose of this whole episode was God had called Jonah to preach to the Ninevites. And so God answered him in his guilty distress so that he could actually get on and do what he's supposed to do. He was supposed to be an ambassador for God. And so we'll read on and just to touch on it in chapter 3 verse 1, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Nothing new. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. God had a purpose. God's will was to be carried out. And so God answers prayers of distress to bring about that we become those useful instruments. And remember, even the Apostle Paul in, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. He prepared in advance for you to do. I want to uh, have a second point, And it's a shorter point now, just really a, almost a conclusion. But in your distress, remember the sign. There's a wonderful gospel message in the midst of this Old Testament minor prophet. This book is historical. I want to repeat that. This book must be regarded as historical. It's not allegorical and it must not be seen as a parable. Not only was Jonah a real historical person, and we can see that Jesus teach Jonah's story as historical. So I believe Jesus, I don't care what clever scholars who write books and teach at universities say, uh, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12 verse 40, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh, will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now one greater than Jonah is here. So, so Jesus claimed that this event, this story, was historical. It was real. And, and, and 
the point he's making is if 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 you ask, well, how can a man survive three days in the belly of the fish? That's impossible. Well, we need to ask another question. Uh, how can anybody survive three days in a grave after being crucified and be raised from the dead? God does the impossible. God performs miracles. God who created nature can act outside of that nature because he's God. Jesus calls it a sign. Matthew 12 verse 39. A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given you except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Speaking to people who know the Old Testament, who know this particular book, and he's saying to them, this was no ordinary event. Jonah was assigned to the sailors. They threw him overboard, left him for dead. Later on, they may have discovered at the cafeteria having lunch. Yes, Jonah, how did you get here, Jonah? God rescued me. How did God rescue? Miraculously. Three days in the belly of the fish and I was vomited out onto dry land. Wow, this is God is this God is real. It was a sign to the Ninevites, them hearing the testimony and the story of what God had done for Jonah. Them repenting as a result of hearing the truth of what God did in this particular instance. It was a sign to us, it is a sign to us, that there is a God who raises sinners from the dead. It was a proclamation to all that there is a life-giving Savior. And ultimately, this book speaks to us of Jesus, whose resurrection is proof of his power to save people and raise them from the dead. So Jonah's mission, we could say, was an enacted prophecy. It pointed forward to Christ, to Jesus, who gave himself for the death of sinners, who rose from the dead on the third day to, to be the risen Savior of all who repent from their sin and trust him as their Savior. Conclusion. Don't underestimate the power of God. To rescue you from the worst kind of sin that you may find yourself in having drifted from God. That's a message of hope tonight. Don't underestimate the compassion and the mercy of God to show kindness, to show grace to the worst kind of sinner. And so the urging tonight, if you are someone in that particular place, you are finding yourself burdened and weighed down by a perpetual sin and distance from God, cry out to the Lord and He will rescue you from your trouble. He will save you from your distress. And Father, we pray to that end tonight. Each of us, Lord, know that we ought not to sin. Do not sin. But if we do sin, we have someone, advocate, who represents us before you, our Savior and your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so thank you for that message, the gospel message already uh, proclaimed uh, in anticipation in the book of Jonah, the coming of Jesus. And I do pray that you would encourage us, each one of us, Lord, as we struggle day by day. Temptations are real. 
the world uh, is against us, seemingly the Satan seeking to destroy our faith. May we be those who constantly cry out to you, constantly call on your name, constantly with the, the good news message of our own experience, salvation belongs to the Lord. Amen. I have a couple of questions that I have prepared, and uh, you'll notice them up on your screen right now. And you could take a snapshot of that. If you are meeting in a group or you will meet in a group, you have some guiding questions. And uh, I think it's always important to take this kind of study and and apply it uh, in in your own uh, life as well. And so I do want to just encourage you. God bless you. God be with you. And looking forward to us meeting together on the Lord's Day uh, uh, as we worship together, as we honor God Uh, uniting our hearts in worship and fellowship. So good night and, and God bless.